Dr. Troy Madsen was an ER physician at the University of Utah Healthcare, and he described a typical night as an ER physician. He said he comes in on his night shift and he sees someone who has a fever, so he assesses them to try and figure out what's causing the fever. Next, he sees someone who's coming with a headache. He said, the next thing I know, someone's coming in who has had some flash burns where something exploded in their face. So I'm going to see that person and then move on from there to someone who has a laceration on their face. He continued on saying, so that's kind of what I start out with on the night shift. So that's kind of what I start out with on the night shift. Like, that's just the beginning. He went on to describe how people will come in suicidal, depressed, dealing with psychiatric issues. After that, he'll see someone with atrial fibrillation where their heart is being rapid, where their heart is beating rapidly, and they have to administer a shock to slow it down. From there, I saw someone who's short of breath who came in saying they just weren't breathing well. After that, a severe allergic reaction. We had to give medication for it to treat it. And another fever patient, someone else with a fever, and I finished up the night with another case of a rapid heart rate and atrial fibrillation. He finished saying that even though they didn't see these cases that particular night, a lot of common trauma cases they see are people wounded in car accidents, stab wounds, gunshot wounds. They see people with infections, pneumonia, upper respiratory infections. And he said, there are some nights where it seems like you just cannot get out of the trauma room. It's just one accident after another. And as a physician in the ER, Dr. Troy Madsen sees people who are hurting and broken. And it's his job to bring hope and healing and to help them. Like, it's crazy. It's almost like... The ER is a magnet for people who are hurting and broken and in need of help. And I believe that the church is a lot like an ER. Well, this is Journey, and uh, this is our second week in existence as a church, and so you're here on week two. It's great. And I don't know why you came. Maybe you got a mailer in the mail, or you got you saw something on Facebook, or a friend invited you. They said, hey, I went to this new church that started last week, and you got to come and see. You got to check it out. But whatever it is, whatever reason you're here today, my hope is that you'll discover that when you say church, we say hospital. And it's my hope today that you'll take a step towards Jesus in your faith journey today. Like I said, last week was our grand opening, and, and we started uh, our grand opening with this series, You Say Church, I Say. And uh, throughout this uh, series, what we're doing is uh, we're filling in the blank of, of what that is. And so last week we said, you say church, I say hospital. And we said that the, the church experience, not just a Sunday morning service, but like when you go out into your week and with your family and with your friends and all that, like it should feel like a party. When you come to a church service on a Sunday morning, it should feel like a party. It should be some of the most fun that you have all week. And we also found that uh, the church is like a party where the invitation is open to anybody and everybody, no matter who you are, where you've been, and what you've done, because God loves you. And so if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it on our podcast, on our site, thisisjourney.church. You can also look it up on iTunes. Uh, But this week, I want to preach from this title, You Say Church, I Say Hospital. You say church, I say hospital. See, I wanted to start off the launch of our church with this series because I believe that the church has an image problem. 
right? And, and maybe when you think about church, you think uh, boring, drab, and dull. Maybe, maybe you tried to invite people to come and be here today, and they said, no thanks, because I've been to church before, and it bored the hell out of me. Like, literally, I sat through this boring thing, and all the hell in me left. So I know I'm going to heaven because I sat through something like that. Like, oftentimes when people think about church, they think of something that's, that's old, outdated, boring, and it smells a little funny. Like, this is, this is what comes to mind when people think about church. And this is a problem, and, and it relates to you today because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus launched the church, the vision that he had for the church was one where people who are lost and broken and hurting could come and find hope and healing and help. And the church has transformed into something different in so many of our minds. See, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus lived on this earth, and he was a real person who really lived a historical figure, the reason behind his life is actually something deeper than what we may see on the surface. See, God saw that you and I have a problem. And you know that you have this problem. You feel it. You experience it deep in your bones. And it's this problem of sin. And sin is everything that, that we regret. Sin is everything that, that we feel ashamed of. Sin is everything we try to shove in the shadows. Sin is all the way that we've, that, that we've hurt ourselves and we've hurt other people. See, you and I, we have this sin problem. And because of that, it prevents us from living the life that we long to live. See, God has a, a life set aside for us, a plan and a purpose for us, and he's calling us to live that. But because of all this shortcoming that we have, the standards, we know we... we we know there's a standard. We know there's a way that I should live. I ought to live. I, I, I should be. But if you're like me, you fall short. And that's sin. And that prevents us from living in the life God has called us to. And so we had this problem that we couldn't fix. And so what God did was he put on flesh. And he lived among us as the person of Jesus. And he lived a perfect life. A life we can't live. A sinless life. Ultimately going to the cross to die the death that we deserve. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin and my sin on himself so that when he died, our sin died. And if we would believe in him, it's not hard to believe in him. I mean, he, he really lived. If we would believe that he died on the cross, and it's not hard to believe that he died on the cross. It's a historical event. It's a fact. But if we would believe that he died for us to take our place, to take away all the things that make us fall short, and then he rose again from the dead, if we would believe that and say, because I've tried life on my own, I want to follow you, I want to make you the leader of my life and be baptized into you. We're immersed into water where God, through his grace and his love, washes away our sin and he gives us the spirit to live inside of us, to guide us and help us in this life. If we would come to a place where we believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead and because of that, we decide to follow him, make him the leader of our life and we're baptized into him then we can have hope and healing and wholeness. See, this is one of the reasons why we gather together on a Sunday morning is to remember the resurrection of Jesus. We gather like this so that we can remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you know some Christians, maybe you are a Christian, Christians are some of the most hopeful people in the world. At least they should be. We should be. Because here's what we believe, if you believe the story of Jesus, that he died on a cross, that he rose again from the dead, you believe that he rose. You believe that he conquered the grave. You believe that he conquered death. 
And the hope that we have is if Jesus rose, we too can rise. If Jesus rose, we too can rise from despair. If Jesus rose, we too can rise from feeling desolate. If Jesus rose, we too can rise from hopelessness. If Jesus rose, we can rise into a whole new life that's full and forgiven and free. And so we have this hope that guides our life. And that's why we gather on a Sunday morning like this. And that's why every single week here we take communion. When you came in and you sat down, you saw some communion cups on your chair. And you're going to have an opportunity later to participate in communion. And in that cup is some juice that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us to forgive us of our sins. The, on the top of that cup is a cracker. It represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And uh, we do this just as a reminder to ourselves that none of us are all together. None of us are perfect. And we need God's grace. We need his forgiveness. We need his leading in our life. And so when I'm done talking, we're going to take time to participate in communion to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. But I also want to invite you to, if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, where you say, you know, I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, and because of that, I want to be baptized into him. I want to invite you to scan the mother of QR codes and uh, sign up to get baptized. Last week, we had two people sign up saying that they wanted to accept Christ and be baptized. How awesome is that on our grand opening? So you just scan the QR code, and what we're doing is next week, next Sunday night, we're doing a baptism service from 6 to 7 p.m. We're going to give you all the information there. But uh, right now we have at least two people that I know of who are going to be getting baptized, potentially five. And maybe you could be one of them as well. And so if you have questions about following Jesus, you have questions about Christianity, you have questions about what it means to accept Jesus, or you say, you know what, I'm ready. I want to follow him. I want to be baptized into him. Then fill that out. Let us know. Because we'd, we'd love to help you take that step in following Jesus. And so you say church, we say hospital. Because here's what we know, that the church is not a gathering for people who are clean and neat and tidy. That The church is not just for good little religious boys and girls. A lot of people think that. I know I've invited people to church before, and they say, no, I'm not really into church. But my, my mom likes church. I'll tell her about your church. And I said, no, we're not starting a church for your mom. We're starting a church for you. For people who aren't into church, for people who have been burned by church, for people who don't think church is for them, for people who have never been to church, for people who have these misconceptions and preconceived notions about Jesus that he's, he, he's too perfect for me and he would never want anything to do with me. Uh, so we started this church to let you know that all of us, all of us, all of us are messed up. All of us are broken. All of us are jacked up. None of us have it all together. And that's why we need Jesus. See, a church is a gathering of people who realize, I don't have it all together. And that's why I need God's grace. Somebody said the other day, they said, um, you know, I have a hard time telling people about Jesus because I'm afraid that they might say, well, you, you don't act very Christian. Uh, what it means to act Christian is to admit your faults, flaws, and failures and say, I don't have it all together. That's why I need Jesus. And so if you're broken, if you're hurting, if you're messed up, you're in the right place. You've, you've stumbled into the place you've been looking for your whole life. 
where you can find grace and hope and patience and peace and joy. You're in the right place. So I think a lot of people have a misconception about church, about Jesus, about what it means to follow him. And so that's where we're, we're, we're launching this series. And, and really, um, today, I just want to focus in on that. You say church, I say hospital, because all of us are messed up. You know, for the first um, 10 years of my life, I grew up without my biological dad in the picture. Um, my mom was a single mom, and she did the best that she could, but my, my dad wasn't there for the first 10 years of my life, these formative years of my life. He, he wasn't really in my life uh, for most of my life, and so I didn't really have a relationship with him. When he died and I got the word of that, it was just a blip on the radar. Okay. And I just moved on. And I didn't realize how him not being there impacted me and wounded me and hurt me and broke me so much. And in growing up, I had to wrestle with questions and feelings of rejection and feeling inadequate and like I'm not good enough and, and am, I, am I loved? Do I have what it takes? For more than half my life, I've, I've battled and, and, and struggled with pornography and, and all the way up until last year and, and even now things, things creep up for me. I've been battling and, and dealing with, with feelings of insecurity and inadequacy and am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I loved? Dealt with jealousy and, and just what's wrong with me? And that's just a few sentences of my brokenness. And part of me just, just letting you in on the fear and letting you see some more brokenness Part of me is there's this fear. I mean, we just started a brand new church last week. This is like the infant stage. We're just like barely crawling right now. Not even crawling. We're figuring this out and trying to get going. But a fear of mine is, wait, it's a brand new church. You can't share this with people. You can't share your weaknesses and, and faults and flaws and failures with people because they might not come back. They, they might realize, wait, there's something wrong with you. You can't share that with them. Instead, share with them cleverly crafted, alliterated axioms that they can rapidly regurgitate on Instagram. Then you can be a celebrity pastor, and then people will take pictures of you and say, I went to this church, and the pastor, he's so amazing. He's so great. You got to go check it out, because people would rather follow a perfect preacher than one who's perplexed by his own pitfalls, right? But I can't do that, because one of our values in this church is real is all we know. Real is all we know, and we don't have time to fake it, because if I fake it, you're going to find out really soon I don't have it all together, and you're going to be sorely disappointed, and you're going to leave anyway, so I might as well just bleed in front of you now, and that's the deal. Everybody's bleeding. You're bleeding. I'm bleeding. We're all bleeding, because we've all been wounded. We've all been hurt. We've all been scarred. We all deal with things that we've shoved in our shadows. We're trying to figure this stuff out. And the question is, are we going to be the kind of people who bleed in front of others so that we can find hope and healing? Or are we going to be the kind of people who bleed in secret and hope nobody ever finds out what's really going on? We're all bleeding. And I've just determined from the outset, we're going to be a church where we bleed in front of people, who bleed in front of one another. Because real is all we know. And you say church, we say hospital. This is a place where people who are broken and hurt and scarred from their past 
hurts and wounds, who are broken and bleeding from their present insecurities, who are broken and bleeding from their future fears and failures, like, can come and find hope and healing. We say church, we say hospital. And if anybody understood that better than anybody else, there's this guy named Matthew. See, 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus, a, a real person who really lived, started his public ministry. And uh, as he started his public ministry, he invited people to come follow him. And there were people who were clamoring to join Jesus. They wanted to be in his inner circle, some of his disciples and, and followers. But Matthew wasn't one of those guys. Matthew was actually approached by Jesus. Jesus came up to Matthew, and there were all these other people who were like, Jesus, we want to be in. We want to be in your inner circle. We want to be close to you. We want to learn from you. And Matthew, or Jesus invited some of them to follow him, but, but Jesus went up to Matthew, a guy who wasn't asking for it, and he said, I want you to follow me. And it changed Matthew's life forever. I want to I show you what Matthew writes about it. Matthew actually wrote about this account. We have recordings of it in the scriptures in the book titled after Matthew's name called Matthew. And here's what Matthew writes, and he writes in third person, but he's writing about himself. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And I just want to pause real quick, and I want to bring a little more color to this passage that Matthew doesn't include. See, Matthew was a tax collector. And so it was Matthew's job to collect taxes from people who owed the government. And back then, the job of a tax collector was a hated job. People hated the tax man. If you owe taxes now, you hate the tax man. You, why do I have to give my money to the government, right? It was the same back then. People hated tax collectors, but even more so because back then what tax collectors would do is they would figure out how much you owed the Roman Empire, and then they'd charge you more than what you actually owed so they could pad their own pockets. So tax collectors were thieves. They were scoundrels. Nobody liked tax collectors. On top of that, when you give money to the Roman Empire, you're giving to an empire that's conquered you. See, Israel back then was conquered by the Roman Empire. And if you remember anything from middle school world history, you know that the Roman Empire was one of the largest empires in the world. But the way that they became one of the largest empires in the world is they conquered other nations. And so they'd, they'd go in and they'd talk about Pax Romana, Roman peace. But the way that they acquired Roman peace was you either get in line or you get killed. And so they conquered these different nations. And so now, if I'm living in Israel... And Matthew comes along tex uh, collecting taxes. Not only do I hate him, because he's stealing from me, he's charging more than what I actually owe, so he can pat his own pockets, but also he's collecting money to go to the empire that's conquered me. And when I give these taxes, I'm fueling this empire to go conquer other nations. So Matthew is hated. He's despised. He's an outcast. M most likely, Matthew would have been kicked out of synagogue. His family would have disowned him. And so here Matthew is sitting at his tax collector's booth, lonely, isolated, probably dealing with all sorts of issues of greed. And then Jesus comes along. 
And when Jesus crashes into Matthew, he invites him to come and follow him. And so Matthew is sitting at his tax collector's booth, and then Jesus sees him. Do you have a picture of this? Do you have a painting of this? Yeah. We see Matthew sitting, and this is just one artist's depiction of, of, of how this might have, might have looked. But Jesus sees him, and when Jesus sees Matthew, he sees this broken, hurting, pleading man, not on the outside, but on the inside. He sees that he's broken because of greed. He sees that he's bleeding in isolation. He doesn't have it all together. And he sees him, and he knows him, and he says, you, I want you to come follow me. Can I just let you know this morning that Jesus sees you and all of your past failures, your future fears, and your present feelings of inadequacy and insecurity that you're not good enough, all the brokenness. He sees all the stuff that you shove in the shadows. He sees all the stuff that you're ashamed of. He sees all the stuff that brings guilt. He sees all, all of it, all of it, all the stuff you're still wrestling with, things that happened 10 years ago that still shape how you act and operate now. Jesus sees all of it, and he points to you. He says, I want you to come follow me. I want you to come follow me. Well, what Matthew finds out is that Jesus is the great physician who can fix the broken and the hurting. He can heal those who are down and out. And in the same way, Jesus looks at you and he says, I want you to follow me because I can bring healing to your brokenness. But in order for that to happen, we have got to be real. We have got to determine that we are going to bleed in front of people so that we can find healing because God cannot bless the you you pretend to be. He can only bless you when you bring all your hurts and pains, your scars, your flaws, faults, and failures, when you bring them out from the darkness into the light, and you say, here I am, here's what's going on, and then God can allow the redeeming light of Jesus to restore that and resurrect you and make you whole. See, the ER is a magnet for broken, hurting people. The church is a lot like an ER. You say church, we say hospital. See, the church is a hospital for those whose marriage is so shattered, they come in limping, looking for a way to begin the mending process. The church is a hospital for the teenager who's battered by insecurity, coming in looking for a dose of confidence. It's a hospital for the single 34-year-old who's beat down by loneliness, longing to feel whole and complete in their current situation. It's a hospital for the guy who's injected himself with inadequacy, hoping to get free and find his true strength. It's a hospital for the couple who had a miscarriage, and they need to be surrounded by a community of compassion. You say church, we say hospital, and Matthew knew that better than anybody else. Because he was broken and beat down, and Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And after Matthew meets Jesus, after they crash into one another, and Jesus says, Come follow me, Matthew gets excited, and so he says, We gotta throw a celebration, we gotta throw a party. And so that's what Matthew does. He says, Jesus, you gotta come over to my house today. We're having dinner, we're celebrating, we're gonna party. 
And then I imagine Jesus says, okay, cool. And then he walks off. And then after he walks off, imagine in Matthew's mind, he thinks, oh, crap. Who am I going to invite to this party? Because I don't know any good religious people. I've been outcast. I've been cut off from synagogue. I'm not a good religious little boy. All I know are other tax collectors. But, but I wonder. I wonder if Jesus saw me and he saw my brokenness and he saw my hurts and he invited me. To, I wonder if he can do the same for them. I'm going to fill my party with a bunch of other tax collectors. That's exactly what he does. He invites all his friends to come over to this party. And here's what he records, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. That's how you got to say sinners when you see it. Sinners, right? And real quick, when the Bible says sinners, this is like code word for immoral people. Like, bad people. Like, sometimes when it talks about sinners, what it's really talking about is loose ladies, prostitutes. We talked about prostitutes last week. Hey, they're back again. <laughs> At Matthew's party, Jesus is there. He's, he's there, and it says he's eating with these people. He's there surrounded by other tax collectors, people who are hated, who are despised, who have been kicked out. Nobody wants anything to do with them. And then there's all these other sinners, these bad, deplorable people. There's prostitutes at the party and then and then but jesus seems to be right at home with them i want to point that out today you say someone come and see when it comes to church i don't know if church is really for me the people who are farthest from god believe that god is far from them that's not the case the people who are farthest from god back then were drawn to jesus they wanted to be around him and jesus wanted to be around them too when the Pharisees, these are religious people, church people, people who have it all together, people who are bleeding in secret, because everybody's bleeding. When the religious people saw this, Jesus eating with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, real quick, I want to point this out. The religious people asked Jesus' disciples, hey, let me ask you a question. You're a, you're a rabbi there. Why is he eating with sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, they were talking to the disciples about Jesus. They weren't talking to Jesus about Jesus, but Jesus answered. By the way, can I just point this out? You got something to say to somebody, you go to them, not somebody else? Okay. Let me get back to this. Jesus responded, and he said this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Oh, you thought I came for religious people. You thought we started this church for church people? No, you're already going to heaven. We started this church for people on their way to hell. So they can discover that there's a God who loves them for who they are and not as they should be because none of us are as they should be. So that they could say, I was going towards a path of destruction. I was trying to figure out life on my own. But then I met Jesus and he changed everything for me. We started this church so that God's lost kids can come home. And if you're found, congratulations, you get to join the search and rescue team. Oh, you silly religious people. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
You say church, we say country club. No. You say church, we say a holy huddle. No. You say church, we say hospital. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come not to call the righteous. You're good. But sinners. See, Matthew's main point was this. I was sick and Jesus came for me. I was sick and Jesus came for me. My friends were jacked up. They were hurting on the inside, and Jesus came to bring them healing. So you say Jesus, I say doctor. Matthew would say, you say Jesus, I say healer. Jesus came to fix and mend the broken in each and every one of us, has been and is broken in some way. But the good news is Jesus came to make us whole, and we all need to be made whole every single day. Even if you've met Jesus, don't deceive yourself and think, I'm good now. No, there's still brokenness that Jesus wants to dig in. There's still things under the surface, under the surface. There's still things in the shadows that you've hidden where Jesus wants to come in and say, I'm bringing light to this because there's still more healing that needs to happen. You say church, we say hospital. And so we know that Jesus has the power to heal and help us because of the resurrection. Jesus sat on the cross, he was buried, but three days later, he rose again from the dead. And if Jesus has the power to raise again from the dead, he has the power to help you with the issues that you've adopted from your dad not being around. If Jesus rose again from the dead, if he has that power, he has the power to enter into your feelings of inadequacy and insecurity and help you overcome. If Jesus rose again from the dead, he has the power to help you with your confidence. Because I know you don't feel like a good enough mom right now. I know you feel like you're failing as a father. I know that addiction keeps getting the best of you. It might have even been an excuse where you had to fight to even be here today because of what you looked at yesterday. But if Jesus has the power to raise again from the dead, he has the power to come into your life and redeem you and restore you and make you whole. Because this is a hospital. This is a hospital. Sick people in the hospital don't try to act like they're fixed. <laughs> no, we can't come and act like we're fixed because we're not. That's why we need Jesus. You know, I don't know if you know this story, if you're familiar with it. It's a story of Robert Moore and Kenneth Wright. They were paratroopers who landed on Utah Beach on D-Day. Do I have an image of this? Yeah. In World War II, more than 150,000 troops, American, Canadian, and British, assaulted five beaches during Operation Neptune. They assaulted these beaches to liberate Europe from German occupation on what we know as D-Day. Over 13,000 paratroopers descended on the land, and among the first were the 101st Airborne Division, the Screaming Eagles. Among those paratroopers were Robert Wright and Kenneth Moore, both 19-year-old private class medics. And D-Day was their first taste of actual combat. The two medics were dropped in drop zone D, where they fell under enemy fire immediately. Both medics 
had only first aid kits and they had no weapons. Moore had only received two weeks of training prior to being, uh, to, to landing on D-Day and his training consisted mostly of stopping the bleeding from wounded soldiers. And so they were just minutes on the ground and the fighting was brutal. And Moore and Wright, they set up a triage unit in an old Roman style church in a nearby village where they brought in both American and German soldiers who were wounded in the fight. One would haul in a soldier and begin treating him, getting him somewhat stable, while the other would run out and grab another victim, and they rotated in their efforts to bring in and treat the wounded soldiers from both sides. They used a wheelbarrow at times to bring in the wounded, and when they ventured out, the fighting would cease momentarily as they were protected by the red medic cross on their armband. And there was a time where some German soldiers uh, had beaten back the lightly armed paratroopers in the area, and some of the Germans invaded the church ready to kill the American wounded. But when they saw that Wright and Moore were also treating the wounded German soldiers, they left the church alone. At one point, a German officer came into the church, and he asked these American medics if he could bring some of his wounded soldiers for help, and Wright and Moore said, yes, we treat human beings, not uniforms. The church building was caught in a crossfire and all the stained glass in the building was shot out. There was a time where a mortar shell landed through the roof onto the floor, but it was a dud. It didn't explode. It caused a scar in the floor of the church. You can see it there today. They moved the mortar shell out just in case, but they continued their work. More and right work for three days straight without sleep. They treated the wounded, and they were able to save over 80 soldiers. Only two died in their care. They were able to save over 80 soldiers because of their efforts. And once the fighting had uh, moved elsewhere, they packed up and continued on with the war. And after the war, Moore and Wright received a silver star when they returned home. And so that's an interesting, compelling story to me. But what I find even more interesting and compelling is, is after the war when the Allies had won and the people of this French village came back and they observed what had happened to this church building that was built 900 years prior, they had to figure out what to do with it. And so they got to work restoring it and fixing it. And they replaced the stained glass that had been shot out with new stained glass, images of paratroopers in honor of what happened at the time. But then there came a question about what to do with the pews. Because Robert Wright and Kenneth Moore had used these pews as makeshift beds, and on these pews they were treating bleeding, dying soldiers, and so there was blood on the pews. The pews were stained in blood. And the question the parishioners of the church had to answer was, what do we do with the blood-stained pews? Do we sand them down? Do we get rid of the blood? Do we replace the pews with new pews? What do we do? Because we're still going to use this building for, like, church services and stuff. And, and to have somebody come and sit in blood-stained pews, I mean, that's kind of gross. So what do you do with the blood-stained pews? What the parishioners of the church decided to do was not sand down the pews to remove the blood, not replace the pews, but they put a clear coat 
of the bloodstained pews. And they did this so that every person who walked into that church would be reminded that at one time this church was a hospital where people who were bleeding and dying were rescued and saved. Because 900 years prior, some people had the vision to build this church building so that lost, broken, hurting people could come and find hope and healing. And it was a reminder yet again that the church was a hospital. See, some churches may sand off the blood, but not this church, not Journey. We don't have pews, but I want to let you know this morning we are the church of the bloodstained pews where we are not afraid to bleed in front of one another because none of us have it all together. We're a hospital where the broken and the hurting can find hope. And you know people just like this right now. You work with them. You work with the guy who goes home and he drinks and drinks and drinks because he's hopeless. He needs to be here. Will you invite him? You know the mom, the single mom who's struggling right now to make ends meet, who's wondering if she's good enough, does she have what it takes? She needs to be here to know God loves her, calls her by name. The question is, will you bring her? Because we're a church of the bloodstained pews. You know some hurting and broken people in your life, the guy who lives for the weekend, who can't wait till the weekend comes so he can finally take it easy, go party, and hopefully hook up with somebody. He's looking for hope and meaning in something that's so empty. He's broken and lost. He needs to be here. Will you bring him? You're here. So time to bring the people you know in your life who are bleeding to the church of the bloodstained pews. See, you say, church... We say, hospital. We're a church where real is all we know. And so if you're desperate, down and out, broken, hemorrhaging from the hurt and pain of life, welcome. You've stumbled into the right place. Jesus came for the sick, and that's why we're here. We're a church for those who are sick with sin, poisoned from toxic relationships, hurting from despair, bleeding with regret and ultimately longing for something greater. And so you've stumbled into the right place. We're a church of the bloodstained pews where you can be made whole no matter your ailment, no matter your hurt, no matter how bad you've been beaten up by life. This is a place where you can find healing. And so you say church, we say hospital. You say church, we say hospital. You say church, oh, we're so much more than just a church. We're a hospital. You've stumbled into the right place. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. Oh, some of us just feel unworthy to be here, and I pray that you let us know we are worthy because you call us worthy. Man, some of us are struggling. We've been struggling for years with all the baggage of our past and the things we've shoved in the shadows. And we wonder, are we loved? Do we have what it takes? Are we good enough? Do we measure up? 
God, I pray that we see you here and now looking at us saying, yes, 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 I love you. I choose you. I want you to follow me. I've called you by name. And I'm here to help. I'm here to show you the way. I'll mend your brokenness. So, God, we lay down the mask. We set down the front. We get rid of the facade. We need one another, and we need you to fix us and make us whole. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you now to go ahead, if you would like, to participate in communion. And again, this isn't a ritual. It's just a reminder for us that Jesus died for us on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, that he sees us bleeding. And he said, you don't have to bleed anymore because I bled for you. And you can be forgiven and made whole. So I invite you to sit in silence and contemplate that truth as you take communion.